Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey, 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 guys, welcome to another episode of Excellence Expected with moi. Mr. Mark Asquith from the fine borough of Yorkshire. And the reason that I mention that is I have another fine Yorkshireman on the show today. It's not often that I get to do that and talk to someone who I can also drink with. So this is going to be a fun one. It's always good. And what we're actually going to talk about is the fickle world of business. The fickle, fickle world of business. We live, you know what it's like. We live in this world of trust and loyalty and where everyone is looking for better value. Everyone is looking for a better experience. You know, that's not only true of customers. It's not only true of whether you're a B2C or a B2B business. It's not true only of the people that you sell to. It's actually also true of the employees that we bring in to our businesses, the people that we entrust our livelihood and our entrepreneurship with, these people that help us achieve what we want to achieve. And it's up to us to demonstrate that we are different. It's up to us to demonstrate why people should do business with us. It's up to us to create what my guest today calls a 3D business. And as I say, my guest is from Sheffield, so fantastically close to me. We are, uh, we're going to head out for a pint at the Sheffield Tap, and I will urge any of you listeners, if you're ever in Sheffield, mark at excellence-expected.com. Let me know. I will buy you a pint. Any excuse to get into that fine, real L place. So take me up on that, guys. So welcome to the show, Mr. Andy Hanselman. How are you doing, sir? I'm very good indeed. Thanks, Mark. And how are you? I am all right, thank you. We tried to get the pint in before uh, before Christmas, didn't we? Did. we? We couldn't line yeah. the diaries up. Busy, hectic world, but we'll sort it out this time round, don't worry. We will indeed. Any, any excuse to get down there. I love a good craft here. We were in there, as I said, in the pre-interview chat. We were in there on Saturday, and it amazes me. For any of you guys listening, I know that we've got we've got fans over in San Diego, which is a big beer uh, town, a big beer city. We've got people on the uh, on the East Coast, people in England, people in Europe. Craft beer just seems to be everywhere, doesn't it? It does. I, I used to live in San Diego myself many, many, many years ago, and there are some subtle differences between San Diego and Sheffield, but there's some similarities as well. Yeah, I don't know what the differences could possibly be. <laughs> and we'll have to maybe talk through that over that beer. But uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a great way to just chinwag and uh, you know, have a good time with people. And it, a lot of business has done over a craft ale, I might add. Absolutely. People buy from people they like and trust. They do indeed. And speaking of people that we like and trust, tell us a little bit about you, sir. Now I know a little bit about your background, a very fascinating bit of your background we spoke about in the, uh, the pre-interview chat. So tell us two things. Where did you come from? What's your background and what do you do? Well, first of all, I will get the bad news out of the way straight away. I'm a management consultant. Normally, for telling me that, I make sure that all the doors are locked and people can't sort of run away. <laughs> um, oh, and that's but, been a fantastic interview, Andy. I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I've been doing it for sort of 25 years now, but sort of started off having failed my levels miserably working uh, down a coal mine. Worked down Dinnington Colliery, just outside Sheffield, and studied at night school to do my A levels again. Had to do them four times. I think the original papers came round again. And then did a degree in mining engineering but this was in the early 80s and they actually shut all the pits while I uh, while I was studying so ended up working in quarries and aggregates things like that for a number of years before joining a, a small consultancy business and then started my own 20, 20 odd years ago now 
Oh wow! So, so uh, that, that's quite a you know that's quite a tenure in, in running your own business. Then that's and how did you make that transition? I'm curious about that. You know what 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 was the catalyst for that? Well, the the, the company I worked for there was a guy who had a very small consulting business, and um, he did the training and development there. And he literally tapped me on the shoulder one day and said, "We're looking for an apprentice. Do you fancy joining us?" And there were sort of three directors and a secretary. And I said, "Yeah," and we went from five us to about 120. Um, helping a real mix of businesses, but they particularly focused on a lot of startup businesses. And I, particularly at the time, worked with a lot of growing businesses, what we call sort of entrepreneurial, owner-managed to, to team-managed business, where somebody had grown his or her business and wanted to develop it with other people around them. So we set up our own business from that, sort of fo- focusing on those. And then 10 years ago, sold out to the management team. And now I just work with, well, myself, Jill, my wife, and Lucy and Danielle in the office. So it's a small but compact team. Wow, that's quite interesting. How do you uh, how do you manage the work life with that scenario? Just to, as a bit of a tangent, I'm cu- really it, curious about that. No, well, it's interesting because we we set up the business together twenty odd years ago and and weren't weren't a couple, <laughs> um, <laughs> and and so it works well because Jill tends to do a lot of the networking side of it. I tend to do a lot of the delivery. So bizarrely, we can we can go days without seeing each other. Um, and but equally, it works very well in terms of playing to each other's strengths. But if we go on holiday, at least. Even if we do a bit of work, we don't get on each other's nerves about doing it because we know what we're, we're doing it together. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And you've gone the other way as well there. Most people say, uh, you know, we started a business together. Now we're not together. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys have gone the other <laughs> way, which is very admirable. <laughs> I love that. So tell us a little bit about 3D businesses. What, what's First of all, what's the definition of a 3D business in your well, mind? We, we talk about businesses that are dramatically and demonstrably different. They do things that their competitors aren't or even better can't do. And that sometimes that can be very, very simple things, but equally in in sort of the in the bigger world, I guess it's the Amazons of this world suddenly coming along and completely changing the the model, being very disruptive. It's um, it's Airbnb, it's I guess it's some of these big businesses, it's Uber that come along and actually create a completely different world. But what we actually find in a lot of small growing businesses, it, it is doing a it's it's a mix of things that actually differentiate them from their competitors. And the really scary thing is sometimes it's doing quite quite simple things. We've identified seven characteristics, if you like. And again, I'm always concerned when people say, oh, here we go again. It's not do these seven things, everything will be brilliant. And there's a fair chance that it's, you could argue, seven sort of common things that everybody knows. But the key bit is they actually seem to make them work. And the key one really is, for me, is characteristic two, which is about thinking in 3D, which is actually is about really their whole approach to marketing and business development and actually being dramatically and demonstrably different, particularly in the areas that customers say are important. And, um, and what we sort of see when we, we see these 3D businesses, that they, they're dramatically different, but their dramatic difference is only any use if customers want it, can recognize it and prepare to pay for it. So there's no good being brilliant at something that actually customers don't value. So a very simple example I see, I often see maybe IT businesses where they've got these guys incredibly right, incredibly brilliant, but can't actually communicate and engage with customers because they don't speak in the language that they can actually understand. Oh, an IT business is a classic example of that. Owning an agency with, uh, you know, working alongside developers and seeing the journey that they've come on as people and you know we, we very actively push those guys into meetings and to work on client briefs because it's a skill that you you can't fake it and you can't 
I don't think really you can succeed to your full potential unless you've got those social skills as well as having whatever specialism you've got as well. An IT company is such a good example of that. Absolutely. I have a client of mine based in Sheffield called Resolve IT and Andrew Seaton, the guy that built that business, one of their sort of core values is what they call no geek speak. And uh, they recruit people that actually can engage and communicate with people as part of the whole process. Again, it sort of adds their dramatic difference right from the beginning. Well, it's such a refreshing change as well. I mean, you know, when when, when you think about that, uh, the, the classic example is is um, maybe someone like the Genius Bar at Apple. Now, you know, not advocating the Genius Bar because I am tired of their cues. I really am. But what they do really, really well is they, I won't say they dumb everything down, but they make it plain sailing. They make everything just very, 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 very simple. And that's all it needs to be. Whether you're a hardcore coder or developer or an IT hardware guy or whether you're just me or my dad or my mum the, the, the communication needs to be the same because it's, it's all actually about the experience that what makes people remember you it's like the old Maya, Maya Angelou quote it's not what you say to people it's how you make them feel that they'll remember so it's you know that's a huge thing isn't it really to get right absolutely and, um, and one of the characteristics in, in 3D businesses characteristic 3 is that they create delighted and devoted customers and I know somebody when they hear the word customer delight think oh no he's been to Disneyland for his holidays it's, it's one of those sessions and it's it's not have a nice day uh, we, we define customer delight as exceeding customers expectations and the really scary thing is I actually think in lots of sectors it's simply doing stuff on time on budget with a smile you know it is walking into a shop and actually finding a member of staff who knows what they're talking about or it's ringing the call center you don't have to give your mum's inside leg measurement and your dog's favorite birthday treat and now you know who you are or it's going on the website and it's easy to deal with and it's sometimes very very simple stuff you know i work with quite a lot of professional service businesses and i actually think it's the law firm that brings you back when they said they were going to and the even really frightening thing is sometimes it's the law firm that just brings you back. Um, but to try and give you an example of maybe the dramatic difference, we worked with a firm where they actually identified one of their barriers was that um, people get hold of, couldn't get hold of the partners. So a very simple step that they actually took was that they actually made sure that on their partners' business cards there were um, the, the, the direct line. You could get through to the real people. And then what they did as a little added thing, we came up with this idea that they actually then made sure that they built in caller ID into their own phone systems that when you rang, he or she knew it was you. And for a law firm, that is dramatically different. That's the whole point of this stuff. Sometimes it's very, very simple stuff, but it actually gets customers thinking, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Well, that's the thing. The, 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 the simply the best thing that you can do with your customer is surprise them, pleasantly surprise them. I always say a very similar thing insofar as what can we do to pleasantly surprise our customers? Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's a very interesting proposition because when you talk to people about, I don't know, X, Y, and Z, you know, I want to do this, this, and this, people assume that these are these big, um, you know, like kind of big, monstrous, insurmountable tasks that you're never going to get done and, oh, that's for other people because these are too complex. But actually, a lot of them, a lot of them are very, very simple tweaks. I, I remember... I've seen an example a while ago now about how Amazon conversion optimized their checkout pages. And it feels a little tenuous as I'm saying this, but I'll get to the point. And what they used to do was they used to just try different things, making different things mandatory to make sure that they got the checkout. And what they found was that a tiny thing like making the phone number not mandatory, so making it optional, 
versus it being mandatory, rap- uh, sorry, greatly and very quickly and rapidly increased the conversion rate yeah. because it was just less friction. And, you know, that's a tiny, tiny thing. But when, when you say you need to be different as a business, people often assume that this is this big insurmountable thing. It's not. It's just the little bits of detail like putting a mobile number on a business card isn't it it's, it's, I find that really really interesting yeah I think particularly for example in professional services you know you could argue what is the norm in one sector isn't the norm in another but we you know we, we actively encourage people to say you know what are the things that irritate or annoy your customers because that in itself can be a great opportunity to create a dramatic difference so we say to people stand in your own queues and actually be a customer or find out what your customers actually think. And I don't know if you've experienced this where, you know, you go into a, a couple of years ago, I wanted to buy a DVD record and read all about them. So I went into a well-known electrical retail store with my money in my pocket to, to buy one. And I walked in and there was sort of this great rack of DVD recorders. And I'm looking at them with sort of real confusion. Couldn't work out what was what. And this fresh-faced young guy comes up to me and says, how can I help you, sir? Just as it said in their customer care sort of manual, I said, I'm looking at these DVD recorders, but I said, I'm, I'm bamboozled, you know, £750, £100, what's well, the difference between the two? And he said about £650, and then just started reading the little red card. And I'm not going to go at him, but he's what we call the sales prevention officer. Lots of businesses have them, and I'll stress again, I'm not knocking him, I honestly think he was trying his, his best, and I'd argue it was a an issue within the business that he was thrust to, to do with these things. And it's just this thing about, you know, how easy are we to buy from? What are the things that stop our customers buying from us? And it could be anything from the way the phone's answered to the to the way we actually deal with our customers when they come into our store or when we go and see them or what time we get back to, to respond when they ask for a quote and things like that. And, and very often we see these very simple little things sort of blocking some of those things out make a dramatic difference because, being blunt, competitors aren't doing it. So that's one of the things I think that we're seeing is is that, as you say, however, people are getting greater uh, expectations because they are going on Amazon and Amazon recognize you and make it easier and get things to you straight away. So those are the things that people are now comparing customer experiences with. They're going, if they can do that, why can't you? So that's what we're also up against in a business is this ever-increasing customer expectations. But a starting point for me is just try and irritate, sorry, eliminate any of those things that irritate or annoy your customers, whether that's online or offline. That's a big thing as well. Now, how do you find out what annoys them? Well, you ask them. Um, I, I think the starting point for me is to is to ask uh, and actually find out what your customers are actually thinking. And it's not necessarily saying, please tell us what we're good at or as bad at or scores out of 10, but I actually think asking some very simple questions like what irritates or annoys you about us? What irritates or annoys you about our type of business, even if they don't want to give you that direct feedback to you as an individual. Just see if you can find out what some of the irritants and the annoyances are of your sector. Um, As I say, even if it's just get somebody who, who is a friend of yours to ring up your own business, to go on your own website. Just work out what are those blockages. And, and, and I say very often for me, it's a fresh pair of eyes. So doing it yourself can be okay, but I think even better is find somebody else. And it doesn't have to be a professional consultant and mystery shoppers and all those sort of things. And this can be somebody who is a typical customer who is prepared to, to tell you the truth. And I'd also suggest it's making sure you go through the whole process one of the things that we see in 3D businesses is that everybody 
recognises the part they play in creating these remarkable customer experiences. Um, our, our definition of marketing is, and it's just our definition, it's not the definition that's there to be discussed and debated, is finding, attracting, and keeping the customers that you want while maximising your profits. So finding, attracting, and keeping them. By definition, there's got to be everybody in your business has a part to play in, what, in at least one of those areas, finding them, attracting them, and keeping them. So this is quite dramatic stuff, but it could even mean the accounts department. They're often the last people that customers talk to and engage with. And if they don't leave a great impression, that's what they talk to other people about. So this is not just the people at the front end doing all the sales bit. 3D businesses ensure that everybody understands the part they play in actually being dramatically and demonstrably different. I'm still baffled that you can say demonstrably. <laughs> I struggle so much with it. You are so much more articulate than I am, Andy. Year, years of practice. Years of practice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel better now about that, actually. Yeah, bloody hell, demonstrably. Do you know, my wife, bless her soul, she's... Uh, She's got a real aversion to the word technologically. So if you ever get to meet her, guys, if you're at Podcast Movement or any other conference that we meet, ask her to say technologically. She will <laughs> kill me. She'll know where it's come from as well, Andy, so she's just going to string me up when that comes out, bless her. She's funny. She's funny with that. So let's talk about kind of brass tacks and let's get down to the to the nitty-gritty of um, how how people perhaps struggle with this and then how we can help them overcome that. So <laughs> when you start to work with people, what are some of the... I wouldn't say the challenges, but what are some of their standard, I don't like the word excuses, but some of the standard roadblocks that they put up in front of you. So you say, okay, here's the vision, here's where we're going. Yep. What do people come back with to say, you know, this is not for us? Well, the first one for us is they'll say to me, uh, Andy, our business is unique. Uh, we're, we're different to everybody else. And, and, and I'm sure you've seen it, I see it. You get entrepreneurs, you get business leaders talking to each other, regardless of what sector they're in. And they've very often got um, similar challenges. So that's a starting point. You say, well, are these some of the issues and challenges that you've got? Have you got customers who are getting more choosy, who are more difficult to get hold of, who are actually in a, you're in a very crowded marketplace. Uh, you've actually got customers who want what they want, when they want it, how they want it. Have you actually got customers who we spend lots of time now actually looking at things like um, TripAdvisor reviews or reviews about what your business is about, uh, not just listening to you. So the world's become much more transparent. So when I sort of talk to a lot of people, I say, are these some of the challenges that you face? Not necessarily talk about specifics about their business. Do you actually see some of these trends that we see? Age of abundance, more and more choice. Customers have actually got more noise. There's more barriers coming up. There is this transparency. Their expectations are actually getting higher. Um, what, what we also see is they're becoming more promiscuous. It is easy for people to, to, to switch and to change. But I think one of the things that's still very, very true is that word of mouth, and a bit cheesy, but word of mouth, is still incredibly powerful. People still get a lot of work from recommendations. Therefore, if you can actually start working out what those things you are being recommended for are, you can start building on it. So what I sometimes do is go into businesses and just sort of ask some of those questions that I guess amplify the pain to a little bit. Because as well as customers, as you've already said, um, employees, employee expectations are getting higher. People no longer have a job for life. You know, going back to the days when I was first working, you know, there were people who worked where I did who've been there all their lives and we're going to stay there all their lives. So what we're actually seeing is that customers expectations are getting higher, employee expectations are getting higher. Therefore the role of the leader 
is to make sure that we see in, in what we talk about creating sufficient delighted devoted customers. That's a little triangle that we have. Sufficient delighted devoted customers at the top of the triangle. Bottom right is committed, motivated, effective people. And then the bottom left is they maximize financial returns and make profit. There's about customers, people, and profit. And in the middle is an L for leadership, and that's the person growing his or her or starting his or her business. And sometimes they are, by definition, all three people. Uh, but it's saying, have you got that balance? And even getting people to take a bit of time out, say, well, how do I measure up against those three things? Sometimes starts to help us get a feel for maybe where we need to start putting the effort. But ultimately, certainly if people want to work with me, it's they've got to want to do it. There's no way I can force myself on people because very often it's, it's whether they want to choose to do it or not. I think the other thing for me is, is that what we don't do, I couldn't do, is tell somebody how to run their business or I wouldn't tell them which markets to go in. What we can do is offer them some processes to help identify what's right for them. So a very simple one for me is uh, part of this marketing definition about finding, attracting and keeping the customers that you want while maximizing your profits is the customers that you want. Do you have a real clear picture of the sort of customers you want to work with or are working with and which who are your best customers? So we talk about choose them or lose them. And it's actually about saying, do you have a real focus on the sort of customers you want to work with? And I think, again, a very interesting question, and this is a question for everybody out there, who are your best customers? What does best look like for your business? And it will be different for every business. I worked with one client where we actually got the, the teams together and we were talking about this and the sales guys came up with this list of customers and said, these are our best customers. And I said, why? Oh, they spend loads with us. They spend loads with us. And the FD said, yeah, but they never pay us. And it's this idea of best means different things for, for, for different businesses. So that will be one of the sort of starting things for me to say, you know, who are your best customers? What does that look like for you and for your business? That's interesting. How would you then go about working with a business to, once they've identified the best, you would assume that they have identified the worst. How would you go about that transition, getting them to focus on the genuine best versus what their perception previously of the best was? Well, I think part of it is trying to paint that picture of what best looks like. So I always have best is in speech marks. And, and I think the danger is people sometimes, I think it's sometimes a bit late, go, oh, it's the Pareto analysis, Andy, it's 2080. And it might be, but actually, I think you should analyze it and actually look at, well, what does best look like for us? Is it type of business, size of business? Is it certain sectors? And it will mean different things for different businesses. And it's trying to paint this picture. Um, and then, if possible, actually trying to look at this whole idea of sort of saying, well, where, where are there more of them? Do we need to work with more of these sort of customers? And I work with some, quite, some of my clients where we actually almost come up with a, a set of criteria which we will measure customers against. You know, as I say, sometimes I work with engineering businesses, and a big one is like credit rating. Can these people pay? Are they in the right sort of sector? Um, I once worked with a design business, and one of their core criteria was we only work with people we like. And that was their choice. They actually felt they got the best work out of doing people with, with businesses that they actually like. Um, you could argue it's very subjective, but I think certainly in a small business, that's often what, it, what it's about, actually sort of saying, you know, who are our best. The other one that I like to use when I'm working with clients is a thing called think value for time. Not just value for money, how much they're spending with you, but value for time is how much time and effort does it cost you in winning these customers or looking after them to actually 
uh, make sure you're delivering the results that you actually want. You know, are there some customers that are actually draining you? Not necessarily just in terms of the payment terms, but it's actually the time and effort required to sort of sort and deal with their particular issues. And so it all sounds a bit woolly, but I think for me, it's trying to paint that picture. And so I worked with a client some years ago who worked for a large supermarket chain and 60 odd percent of his business was with with that one customer. And we took a bit of time out to say, look, we can't clearly just get rid of that because we wouldn't want to. But how can we create a plan that in the next three years we reduce the the share to that customer of 6% to about 40, 40%. And they moved it to about 35 by building other customers up. So what I'm trying to sort of say here is, is, is that every, again, business is different, depends on what their aspirations are. But just working out and just asking that question, who are your best customers, uh, is something to, to consider. Very interesting. I think it's something that, that, that a lot of people would struggle with as well, how to ha- actually identify that. Because... By virtue of doing so, you do say that, you know, some people we, we aren't going to work with. For whatever the criteria is, I mean, we, we've all had people that just don't pay us or they yes. pay on their own terms. And they're a nightmare, you know. Yeah. Why, why, why would you choose to do business with those kind of people? And I think that is this whole idea then of, the, of, of who are your worst customers and looking at maybe getting rid of them or at least reducing reliance on them or trying to get them to do things on your terms. Yeah, exactly. And, and and you do have to sometimes, you know, maybe that's the point of differentiation for a lot of people. I remember certainly when we were looking at reformatting Hacksaw to a degree, you know, we went through this process and, and, and we know that there are so many other design agencies out there. And, you know, that our point of differentiation is our, our own house style and people work with us because of that. But actually, yep. when you think about it, the other big point of differentiation that we made was that actually we want to be respectful of everyone's time and everyone's in business and we understand that everyone's in business so actually these are our payment terms when you when you get your invoice it is due the moment that you get it and as crazy as that sounds it weeds out a lot of the 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 disingenuous people and it allows you to you know the point of differentiation is not in the delivery it's actually in the process because people who are serious and want to work with you they get it they're actually impressed by your efficiency and the confidence that you bring so that becomes your differentiator so i do i do think there's something in thinking a little bit laterally about it as well you know i think a lot of people would say okay what what makes you different and then the stock answers well we're more professional we're more reliable we you know our widgets are cheaper um and sometimes you have to think a little bit differently I think is what I'm trying to say completely We, in fact I, I speak at a lot of conferences and events and, and I actually get I can be in a room of 250 people get them to stand up talk to somebody they don't know and just say why should they buy from you just a couple of minutes have a chat with each other and they reverse it and I say okay what I want you to do now all just please stand up and I want you to sit down if you heard any of these sort of phrases and they'll talk about their expertise and experience, it's our people, it's our reputation, it's the quality, it's our customer service, it's our value. And I get them all sat down. And I'm not saying anything they've said is wrong, but I actually talk about USPs. And people go, oh, yes, it's, it's unique selling properties. And I go, no, it's the usual stuff people say. USPs is the usual stuff people say. I'm not saying anything said is wrong. It's how do you therefore demonstrate that? Because your sales guys, your website, your literature is always going to say great stuff about you. It's do you live it day in, day out? And that's this whole thing about demonstrating your dramatic difference. So again, I'm not saying to people that isn't your dramatic difference. And what I'm saying is, can you demonstrate it? Because I'm fairly sure if I got your competitors in the same room, they'd say the same sort of things. Yeah, yeah, that and massively. I think that that's a huge point that you just made there. Definitely, 
and it's just getting people to work it out. So it's not, and I'm saying to them, it's not it's what 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 you said is wrong. What I'm saying is, is first of all, the customers want that. Do they recognise it? In the ideal world, do they pay more for it? But as a minimum, do they pay for it? And if you can come up with that bundle of stuff, that starts to become your dramatic difference. And again, it is very unscientific. You know, that for me, your dramatic difference is a bundle of unmatchable skills, methods, practices, and processes that differentiate your business. And in, and in the best, it's the stuff that your competitors aren't doing, or even better, it's stuff that your customers can't do. Your competitors can't do, sorry. So it's actually finding things that actually make you stand out. And as you say, that could be the things you just sort of said, you know, that we're going to stand up for it and we're going to say, you'll pay us this before we even get going. Confidence that comes across that says, this is what this is about, this is how we're about. There'll be some people who won't like that. Well, fine, don't deal with those customers. Yeah. And there's some, there, you need to be confident with that. And I, 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 can't, I do really get the point, what you made about that design agency not working with the people that they don't like. And it, it, you're right, it's completely subjective. Um, but if the point of differentiation is that you want to deliver a certain type of work, then maybe that is a great thing. Actually, if you're selling widgets, maybe that's a terrible thing. And I think there's something around um, not looking over the fence and saying what these guys do to be quote-unquote different is what we're going to do because we're kind of following them. I think even if you do, even if you have the exact same thing, you'd sell the same thing in the same manner, you actually, as people, are different. So you can actually make that your USP. You know, we we will always talk to you like this. You will always, like you said early on, you will always talk to a partner at the law firm. And I think I think it's nice to have your own set of confidence to be able to go out there and say, it doesn't matter what anyone else said, all these cliches that are out there, actually, there's just this one tiny thing that I do that is different. Absolutely. And it's building it into how you do business. So, so again, very simple example I went to a client of mine I hadn't been there for six months I'd done some customer care training at their place turned up at their offices in Leicester walked in I was met at the front door by in the reception by Andrea who was the office junior she said hi Andy I've had a good trip from Sheffield which I thought was quite impressive she remembered I was from Sheffield I went yeah I have thanks because uh, John, John will be with you for a couple of minutes can you hang on I said yeah of course I can she said do you want a cup of coffee while you're waiting and I said that'd be brilliant she goes it's black no sugar isn't it I said, how do you know that? She goes, it's my job to know. And she'd actually built that into the way she got a little card index system about her visitors. But it was demonstrating this thing about the personal relationships. Um, I've got another client of mine and it's an idea that we nicked and we put it in our business now. Never failed to amaze me how many businesses have uh, a standard letter that's according to our records, you're 30 days overdue, 60 days overdue, 90 days overdue. How about a letter that's according to our records, you paid us on time, could we just say thank you very much? We really appreciate it. And it's little things that you can build in to the, we call it planned spontaneity, is that you build it into the way you do business. Um, I, I once stayed in a, in a hotel in, um, in the Northwest and it was only a small little hotel and there was a little card by the side of the room, but by the bed that said, your room's been cleaned by Mary. Please look under the bed. There was a little card under there saying, I've cleaned under here too. And it's these simple little things that just reinforce that somebody has cared about this stuff. So you can build these things into your into your processes, which is why if you can work out what are the things that irritate or annoy customers that you in the past or your competitors have done, do the opposite, then that's sort of breaking the rules. That becomes an integral part of your your dramatic difference. Yeah, I think it's really important. Really important to just find something to hook on to. And like you said, so many people see it as this big 
insurmountable challenge to find something that's so massively different that no one else can possibly replicate it. And all it needs to be is attention to detail. I think that's that's really important to remember, guys, is that it doesn't have to be this big, giant task. It can be just something really, really simple. One of the best examples, and I forget, I actually forget the company name because it didn't it didn't happen to me. It happened to Adam, um, who you guys remember from Cavalry, um, and it happened to him, and I do forget the app, but he used an app for the first time about three days later he got a handwritten letter from the CEO saying thanks for checking out the app really glad you had a good experience with it see you next time and it was a handwritten note um, and he didn't need to do that you know that didn't No. He, he certainly wouldn't have felt any worse had he not got that but it made sure that he himself even though I can't remember it he will remember that, that experience well, forever we, we have a client here in Sheffield called Chimo Holdings who, who still handcraft very very high end uh, sil- silver cutlery you know what Sheffield is is famous for and they export all over the world best wishes everybody here in Sheffield in 147 different languages there's a little hand compliment slip that goes with the goods that goes all over the world the downside is seven and then they get the phone call from somebody in another part of the world talking down the phone in their language thinking they can understand them and one of the things about this stuff is it raises customers expectations so you've got to start being able to deliver it consistently if you do start doing these things so yes do it but you've got to make sure you can deal, build on it on an ongoing basis Yes, definitely. Just, just, just keep it. Even in the early days, you can, you can. If you're a startup, you can do things that don't scale. But if you start something at a, at a level where you already have a decent sized business, then you, you do have to make sure you can keep up with that one. So yeah, re- really kind of get that point. It resonates as well because you see, um, you've got to be very careful to transition out of that and make sure you do something that's equally as thoughtful, whilst being more scalable. Absolutely. The key thing for me. Particularly is, is around you know the, this idea of customer delight for me is this idea it's, it's the personal touch it's what works for one customer uh, doesn't necessarily work for another and also I think it's about it's got to come across as spontaneous I mean I say you can plan spontaneity there's got to be an element of genuineness about it it's, it's, it's not buy one get ten free and, and it's it's this whole idea of making customers feel valued it's stuff that gets people talking and that, yeah. to me, is where it works. It will work anywhere in the process. But it's also about do we actually engage and empower our people to actually make that happen? And I think that would be sort of the other key thing for me that we've seen in 3D businesses is that everybody is bought into this. And, and again, you know, you buzzword, you use the word empowerment, and people say, oh, our staff are empowered to delight our customers. And the reality is that they went on a customer service training course 15 years ago for five minutes is, <laughs> is do we actually give people permission so the examples you know again maybe people have heard them but you know Timpsons who are the cobblers any member of staff at Timpson can spend up to £500 to solve a customer's problem without talking to a manager wow um, Ritz-Carlton Hotels it's $2,000 you can spend $2,000 to solve a customer's problem without referring to a manager that's empowerment Wow! 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 And that's now, I didn't even know that. That's amazing. And 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 the, that's the whole thing for me then about this thing about the dramatic difference is that everybody lives it. But you actually have your ethos is around do your systems actually support the culture that you want? So if we're going to talk about that everybody um, can go out of the way to delight customers, do we actually give people the permission to do it? Do we engage them to do it? Do we actually allow them to do it? Because what I see in lots of companies and people say, oh, Andy, we want our staff to go the extra mile for, for our customers. And I said, what do they get if they do it? What do you mean? I said, I'll tell you what they get. They get extra work. The reward of doing a great job is you get to do more. 
what we see in 3D businesses is that we talk about having a, an uber culture, which is characteristic five, but it's actually that everybody understands what's expected of them in terms of the behaviours. That the systems are built to reinforce that. So do we recruit people in line with our behaviours? Are people engaged and empowered to actually make these things work? And are they rewarded and recognised for doing it? So um, American Airlines, for example, one of the things that they do, they give their customers vouchers that they can give to the staff uh, on, on, the, on the planes uh, to trade in for prizes. So it's their customers recognising those that deliver this stuff. And I was once staying in a very small little hotel in, in Oxford and we arrived at the hotel and they gave us this gold coin and they said, we would love you to give this to the member of staff who makes your stay an outstanding one over the next weekend. And uh, if it doesn't happen, by the way, please put it in this box on your way out. So that was a bit of a key indicator for them. We had a wonderful meal on the Saturday night and Jill, my wife, said, I think we should give this to the chef. So I put my hand up and said to the waiter, I came out, I said, could you give this to the chef? And he said, no. And he walked off. And he came back with the chef and said, you give it him. And I think, again, that to me just shows that this sort of this link between the people and the customers thing is what it's about. It's, do we reinforce the, the culture that we want? and actually make it make it work. Equally, you've got to be careful with that. I was once in a, well, a well-known out-of-town shopping centre near Sheffield, and um, they had some posters up saying, please nominate our customer champions. I was in the men's retailers, and this young lad who was called Brett, he served me, he was, he was, he was outstanding. I said, I'm nominating you. He said, oh, please don't. I said, why not? He says, I've already been nominated seven times this month. I said, that's great, you'll win. He goes, I don't want to win. I says, why not? He says, the prize is you get to go to dinner with the managing director. So if you're going to reward people, make sure the rewards are actually what work for the, the actual employees. And it's this whole idea of how do we champion our champions and encourage those that are, that are actually doing it well. I hope the MD of uh, any, any specific shopping centre that may or may not be in the north of England is not listening because Brett... <laughs> He's not going to have a nice day tomorrow. <laughs> it was many years ago. He's, he's a lot older now. Yeah, Brett's a full, fully-fledged man now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Andy, let's switch things up a gear. Let's dig into the three actionable tips. So for anyone that wants to create this demonstratively different business. Now, did I say that properly? Nearly. I, think I might have done. Nearly. I might have done. Dramatically and demonstrably different. Just to demonstrably. say 3D works. 3D works. I must say, I'm going to practice that. Okay, here's a bit of accountability for you guys listening. Every time you see me, just ask me to say that word, demonstrably, because I will crack it. I assure you, that's it. If I see you at Podcast Movement, give me a little scutch around the face if I can't say it properly. That is a challenge. I love that. Honestly, I've got to define challenge and conquer my own problems, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dig into the actionable tips. So three simple ways that people can create their own 3D business. Action one, I think, is what I call choose them or lose them. And it's taking a bit of time out to work out and identify who your best customers are. And, and I said say again, best is in speech marks. Um, what does that actually mean for you? Think about the profitability of those customers. Think about the value for time that it actually takes. But actually create some time. And if you've got other people in the team, get everybody involved to work out who are our best customers. And then, importantly, what's important to them. But idea one is choose them or lose them. Choose them or lose them. She's got a t-shirt, that. I like that. <laughs> Get that on my t-shirt for you next time I see you. <laughs> Super stuff. Action number tip and number two, please, sir. 
this is to actually create some dialogue with your customers, and particularly those best customers. And I think it's asking some questions. And again, I've got some questions here for you to consider. Uh, the first one is, why do you buy from us? Just be careful how you ask that one. If you ask it, it does tend to look as if you're undermining you. Why do you buy from us? But what makes us special? Um, what one thing would you like us to do differently or to do or to do better? Uh, maybe just what one thing should we never stop doing? The reason I do that is because sometimes people don't realize the difference is they actually assume that everybody else is doing the same. And actually, customers come to them because of that, because they never actually created that conversation. They don't actually know that that is the thing that makes customers feel that we've got to be dealing with these people. Another one that I think that works quite well is please describe our business in just a few words. What words or phrases do people actually use to, um, to describe your business? Because again, those are the sort of words and phrases that they may use when they talk to other people about you. And very often, again, that can be a great way of sort of trying to work out what are the things that people see that differentiate you from your competitors. Interesting. I like that. I like the, the point that you might not understand what makes you different. I think that's really powerful because you just, unless you ask, you just go about your normal day and you just keep doing what you're doing. And, it, you know, if things are all well and good, that's fantastic. But you could actually win back some of the customers that you might lose, even if you only lose 1% of customers. What if you could get that to a half a percent? I think that's a very, very good point. Absolutely. Really good point. Super stuff. And the third and final the, actionable the, tip, please, sir. The third one is stand in your own queues. And that is saying, what's it like to be a customer of your business? And that could be even very simple things like just go on and revisit your own website. Because everything that you do does one of three things. It either positively reinforces your dramatic difference, it's neutral, doing the one thing or the other, or it detracts from it. So a starting point for me is obviously to identify the things that detract from it and get rid of them. So that is bring up your own business, go on your own website. Um, even look at your own out-of-office answer machine uh, message, your own out-of-office email message. What does it actually say? Do those things demonstrate your dramatic difference? Do they detract from it? Or do you become the same as? But it's also about, you know, sitting in your reception. What's your delivery performance like? The guys that actually deliver the stuff to your customers. And again, if it's not you doing it, and I'd argue if, it's, if you are the business, maybe get somebody else to do it. And I'm not saying it has to be in detailed mystery shop, but what I'm trying to sort of say here is try and get a feel for you and your business. Even simple things like Google your own business, Google your name, see what comes up. Go on forums that maybe link to your business. What are people saying about your business? Maybe even make an inquiry, see what people think. What I'm trying to sort of say here is it's not just what you are, but it's how you're seen and do you actually demonstrate the dramatic difference in, in what you do. Stand in your own cues. I, really, I think that is a, uh, you know, there's one little nugget one little tidbit standing in your own cues i think really really kind of resonates you know you can imagine that as a as a kind of uh, not a marketing phrase but certainly as a as a you I'm sort of imagine like a business development session where you get yeah. the whiteboards out well, and you you know everyone sat around a table it's one of those isn't it absolutely we we run a, i run a lot of programs when i got MDs and entrepreneurs from different businesses and what i encourage them to do very often is to pair up and just do it to each other tell, tell each other what to look for and, and just give each other a call, ask for a quote, go on the web, just do those things. And because they've heard what I've been talking about, maybe they're a bit more blunt about how they see things rather than saying things, you know, it's a nice colour. It's these are the things that are actually stopping you sell to existing customers or prospective customers. And, and I think just going back to that question for, I asked before about when you're asking your customers, why do you buy from us and when do you buy from us? 
sometimes you'll find that they don't know the full range of things you can do. They only use you for certain things and you're competitive for something else because they're not aware of the full range of things that you're doing. So all this stuff to me is trying to remove what I call the, the blind spots that a lot of us have, and I know I'm guilty of it. We're incredibly busy. Um, it goes right back to what we said at the beginning. You know, the expectations are getting higher, but we're all incredibly busy. So we don't always just take that time out to look at our business, what our customers are thinking, what our people are thinking. Um, you know, the same in the standing your own queues. If you have got some frontline people, talk to them and ask them, uh, what do they think of the things that irritate or annoy customers? What are the things that stop them giving the level of service that we actually want? Very often, they'll point the obvious things out that maybe you don't see because you're, you're busy doing it. Yeah, that's a it is a really good point. Just just live, you know, it's, become the mystery shopper. And I think you've got to be really objective with that. And you know, I, I personally, I, I've I've done it before where I get other people to do it for me that I know and trust and go through that process. And that really works as well because you can Absolutely. get kind of you, know, you, you can sometimes even with the best intentions you can rose tint things if you're not careful. Um, so I think it's I think it's really important to just make sure that you've got a sense of objectivity there. Absolutely. Um, really important Andy listen that has been such a good chat we normally run for 30 minutes we've run for 45 and I've enjoyed every second of it listening Great to you stuff. Uh, I love it honestly it's been fantastic so thank you so so much and just before we stick a peg in that where can people find you on the old interwebs good sir they can find me on the very imaginatively titled website andyhanselman.com uh, they can find our social media is Andy Hanselman whether it's on LinkedIn whether it's on Twitter and if they go on Amazon they can find Thinking 3D the seven characteristics of dramatically and demonstrably different businesses there demonstrably demonstrably well done demonstrably honestly I forgot that tomorrow you know <laughs> I'll, I'll keep pushing you on it. You have to send me a text, like one of the voice memos, every single day and just say it. <laughs> every single day. One, two, just three, say, honestly. Thinking 3D, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I like that. <laughs> Helping me out there. I love it. Andy, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Take care. You too, sir, and I'll see you for that pint. And guys, don't forget, everything that myself and Andy have spoken about will be available at the usual web address, excellence-expected.com. So check it out. Head over there. We have a whole host of content over there. We've got over 140 podcast episodes as at the time of recording this. We've got three good quality eBooks to help you in different aspects of your business and a whole host of blog content from guest posts, guest authors, in fact, and of course, myself. So check it out, excellence-expected.com. And thank you for this 45 minutes with us. And don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Adios. Adios.